Well, the passage we have before us in Mark describes the kind of religion that God condemns. God, in fact, does condemn, and He actually condemns religious systems. Not only does He condemn, He says that some people's condemnation is going to be greater than, than others. As the righteous judge of the universe, not, God not only condemns, but He says there'll be a greater condemnation for some. And if, and if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough to make us pay attention, I just want to note for you that this is a significant passage because it's the last words that Jesus speaks before He goes to the cross. The last words to the crowds. There's private conversation with the disciples. There's... There's a response to public questions from his opponents, but there's no more, there's no more public teaching. This is it. The last lesson that the Lord Jesus gives is about the kind of religion that he condemns. Now that kind of puts it in, in perspective, doesn't it? And the kind that we should avoid ourselves. Now just to remind you where we're at, the temple rulers have attempted to discredit Jesus by asking him three questions. Three unanswerable questions in their minds. There was a hypocritical question about taxes. There was the ignorant question about the resurrection. There was this incriminating question about what is the greatest commandment. And in each case, Jesus responds. He embarrasses the group. And the only thing that they could say is, Teacher, you have answered well. And then the crowds are amazed. That's, that's what's repeated in, in Mark. All four groups have done this. this the Pharisees... And the Herodians, they asked about the taxes, the Sadducees about the resurrection. And finally, the scribe, which is the lawyer, asks about the great commandment. And the goal, their goal was to get Jesus to say something contrary to the law of Moses and, and condemn himself. And then, and then cause the crowds to, to turn away. These men had no desire to be under the law themselves. They wanted to use the law for their, for their own purpose. And the law is not bad. The Bible tells us that. Anybody that tells you that the law is bad is, is not being faithful to the, to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said He did not, come to, did not come to destroy the law, but He came to fulfill it. In fact, even, even the, 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 the jot and the tittle of the law will, will, be, will be fulfilled. These men had no desire to be under the law. They wanted to use it for their own purposes. And the law is not bad. John Piper said the law for us as believers... Is like the railroad track in, in which the converted life runs. We, we run on the, on, on the track that's pleasing to God. Man, man sits idle on the tracks. There, there's no fire in the engine before you've been saved. You have no engine to do what is pleasing to God. But once you're converted and spiritual life comes in, the Spirit of God gives you the ability, gives you the engine, if you will, and you happily go down the tracks. David said he delighted in the law of God. We, we love Him, we keep His commandments. The problem that man has, religion has, is it tries to pull up the tracks, Piper said, and use it as a ladder to climb into heaven. Rather than as a guide for the converted life and something to delight in, they try to use it to, to better their position before God. And that's what all religions try to do. They, they use the law as a ladder to try to climb into heaven. And if you climb your way to God, you'll only find condemnation. There's only one way to Christ, uh, one way to God, and that's Christ. So the Jew prays, the Buddhist empties himself, the Muslim recites the Quran, the, the Jehovah's Witness knocks on the doors, the, the Mormon obeys the ordinances, the Catholic joins himself to Mass and penance. 
whatever form of religion, it's all a ladder attempt to, attempting to, to reach heaven. And that's where Jesus keeps taking these, these leaders back to. Jesus tells the scribe in verse 35, put down the ladder and believe on David's Lord. He quotes Psalm 110. David said in verse 36, uh, David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David himself calls him Lord, so in what sense is he his son? He's saying, believe on me, I'm, I'm the Messiah. And then Jesus doesn't even give the rulers a chance to respond, but instead he turns to the crowd and he warns the people about their error. Look at verse 38. In his teaching, he was saying, I just be, no pause, he comes right out of dealing with the scribe and says, beware. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and their respectful greetings. He gives a scathing indictment of the entire religious system that's there. And he outlines specifically why God condemns it. He names the leaders in verse 38. The, uh, Luke uh, names more than just the scribes. He describes their corruption, how they like to walk around in, in long robes and how they devour widows' houses. He gives an example of that. He, he goes to the treasury and he's watching what's happening in the treasury. The rich and the widow are a contrast. And then he instructs his disciples by that. And then he makes a prophetic statement in chapter 13 that we'll, we'll look at about judgment on the, on the temple. He says not only will these rulers be judged, but even the very buildings that represent their system will be torn down to the ground. Now, you and I probably remember this passage most poignantly because it's, it's the widow's might. And almost every time that we, we, we go to Israel, people want to get a widow's might, and you can get them. I mean, they're, it's, it's, really, it's really amazing. They're, they're there, and, and uh, so we remember this because of the, the, widow's, the widow's might. There's a lot more going on. You might be surprised to know that the focus of, of Jesus' message here is not even the widow. She's an illustration of this condemnation. We should be willing to give all that we have to the Lord, even our last two cents like the widow. But even more specifically, the passage reveals a religious system that not only takes the last two cents, but seeks it. And leaders, condemnation of leaders that superintend over that kind of system. This is a condemnation passage that shows the corruption of false religion and the evidence of their judgment. The widow reveals a victim of false religion. She's an example of a corrupt system. What it does to sincere followers. You should have the sincerity of the widow, but you should condemn a system that would take a widow's last two cents to feed herself. What does God think about a religious system that promotes pride and abuses the poor? Well, Jesus tells us right here, He's going to tear it down to the ground, and those who participate in it will receive a greater condemnation. So here's the outline. There are three warnings about the kind of religion that God condemns. And Jesus says, beware its dishonest display. We'll see that in verses 38 through 40. 
Then he says, observe its heartless design. We'll see that as Jesus observes the treasury. And then he says, learn its coming destruction. And that'll be in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Beware, observe, and learn. There's a display, there's a design, and then there's a destruction that is coming. Let's look at the first one. Beware, it's dishonest display. And Jesus says that the leaders of this system pretend, they, they parade about, and then they, they pillage. Look if you would at verse 38. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplace and chief seats in the synagogue and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. There's the condemnation part. And he starts with the warning and then he describes... What you should be aware of. There's a dishonest display. And the other Gospels, as I said, mentions all the leaders, not just the scribes. And while the people were listening with the rulers right there, Jesus issues a warning against the temple leaders. He talks about their deceiving conduct. He, he, he says, watch out for them. And he mentions four things that they, that they do to, uh, to um, claim an elevated position, to look religious on the outside, even though they're not on the inside. He mentions, first of all, long robes. They like to walk around in long robes. You see that in verse 38? What's that have to do with anything? They, they, they wear an outer garment that was worn for... For, for status, you, you could probably understand that. I mean, you see on TV the, the guys that wear the robes and the hats and, and, and all types of things. And, and the robe that they wore was long and flowing, and, and it set them apart. It was part of a social status. Jesus says they dress up like religious people, and that serves as their credentials. Their dress serves as their credentials, at least they want it to, even though they're not qualified internally. Their clothes said that they were, that they were elevated teachers of the law, but inside they were corrupt. It's like someone pretending. And yet, on the inside, they're, they're nothing but a fraud. He also says that they liked respectful greetings. It's the second thing he notes. Outer garments, these long robes, and then they like respectful greetings in the marketplace, in public. He's describing their dishonest display. How do they display? What does false religion, what is the religion that God condemns, what's it look like? How does it display itself? Well, first of all, it's all about the external, long robes, and then they really, really like respectful greetings. They don't just like to be to dress up, but they like to be called with a title, rabbi or whatever. Now, that's not a term of endearment. They didn't see it as a term of endearment like when you... When you say to one of your pastors, you call them pastor. This is a title that was demanded. They demanded recognition. They're like the person who corrects you whenever you don't address them right. That's Dr. Farrell to you, okay? That's, that's the idea that, that you have here. They're inflated windbags. They want people to call them something they're not because they have no substance. So they dress like they have substance. They demand titles like they have substance, even though they have none. And not only that, look at what else it says in verse 39. Jesus points out 
in front of them to the crowd. Look at their conduct. Look at how they display themselves. The chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. The last two things that he points out. The high seats at the synagogue was would be like sitting on the platform up up here. It's where the prayer leader sat. It, it, it's, it, it's an elevated position. In their minds, it created social status. We're not one of the people. We're, we're up here. In the places of honor at, at the banquets, they, they were the seats, as you remember, probably from the parables that Jesus gives and the stories that in the Gospels. They were closest to the host, so they got more, more honor. It's like seat, being seated at the head table. And they were always given to the rich and to the important the Lord's already warned of this. And the point is, because religious people don't have spiritual power, they seek other means to prop themselves up. They have expensive clothing. They, they have elaborate props with their preaching. They, they have significant titles, reverend doctor, bishop of his most holy potentate, or whatever it is. And they promote each other. They star in their own religious shows. You come and speak for me, and I will say all kinds of flowery, wonderful things about you, and then you invite me, and I will do the same thing, and we will deceive the people in the process. That's, that is exactly what Jesus is pointing out here that's going on. The quicker that you learn that you're not as important as you think you are, the closer you'll get to be, be able to be used by God. And if that wasn't disgusting enough, Jesus says they did it for a devious purpose. Look at verse 40. Not only do they have this outward show, but they do it because of their inward wickedness. Verse 40, who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. Devour means to eat up. It means to consume means to prey upon. They preyed upon widows' estates. The scribes, according to the Mishnah, were, were not paid for their services. They, they were dependent upon the support of others. That's, there's nothing bad about that. In fact, that's what the Bible commands. Those who preach the gospel live by it. The Bible says a labor, labor is worthy of his hire, and spiritual work is work, and I can testify it is, it is hard work. But these... Religious leaders sought to look pious and use their association with God to prey upon the very ones they're supposed to protect. They devour widows' estates. Now, what does that mean? How's that possible? Well, in this day and time, a, uh, without a husband and without someone to represent them, when the husband died, if there was not a son or there's not someone to, uh, to claim the land or represent a widow legally, they turned to the religious leaders. They turned to, to the temple rulers. They turned to the scribes as the lawyers to, to help mediate the cases, just as God had instructed them to do. And rather than caring for the widows, these wicked men used it as a chance to steal from them, to take advantage of them. And so they would say, no problem, I'll settle your estate, Just I'm the executor of your will, and then they would go out and they would actually settle it and they would cut a deal, a back deal for themselves, or they would take a portion of it themselves. And they offered long, pious prayers in front of the widows to mask their true intentions, to see, to cover their wickedness. So they would think that they were actually good men so they could steal more. And Jesus says these will receive 
greater condemnation. The Bible says there are three unmistakable marks of a false teacher. Pride, greed, and immorality. And if you want to read that in detail, you can read Jude and Second Peter. Pride, greed, and immorality. If you look on TV, you will, you will see it in all of its full peacock parade. They love crowds and prominence. They love money and they seek it. And most of them are entangled in sexual sin of some kind. And these men use God as a prop to extort from the weakest and the most vulnerable. And Jesus says, you do not want to be them on the day of judgment. Now, when you think about this word, what Jesus says here, these will receive greater condemnation. That's a little perplexing because how do you get worse than hell, right? I mean, they're going to hell. That's what he's saying here. They're, they're not going to get into heaven. But, but how do you get worse than eternal torment? I have no idea. But Jesus not only says here, but he talks about the, the cities in Galilee, the, 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 the people in Galilee that rejected his teaching over and over and over, it will be worse for you in the day of, of judgment. And I think the idea is the abundance of prominence that they sought for, for these deceptive ends brings an abundance of condemnation in God's judgment in the very end. What they use for evil, God's going to bring back on their heads on the last day. One of the verses you probably learned in Sunday school, and rightly so. If not, you should have. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, whatsoever a man sows, he shall also reap. That's exactly right. Jesus says, beware. Beware these people. This is how you can tell who they are. But he also says, observe. He says, observe their, their heartless design. And now here's the contrast. And here's where you can actually see two things happening. It's a condemnation of the system, but we can learn some things not only from the rich, but from the widow. So the observation of the rich and the widow are in the context of this condemnation, but we can learn some things from both of them. Jesus says, observe this system's heartless design. There's the, there's the participant's self-promotion. And then there's this widow's sacrificial presentation in Jesus' contrast. And look at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And that's kind of a, a, an unsettling statement, maybe. Uh, you think about, here is the Son of God observing what people are putting in the treasury. And Jesus wasn't standing in our physical presence this morning, but He observed what you put in the offering plate as it went around. And regardless of what anybody else knows, the Lord knows. But here's God in the flesh observing this. Jesus goes to the court of the women, that's where the treasury would have been, and He sits down, which is the posture of a teacher, and He observes this system in action. The word observe is, 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 is the imperfect. It means he's continually watching. He's watching the people come and present their offerings and move on. And the next one come and present their offerings. He, he's observing what's taking place. Not only did this the religious leaders individually devour the poor, but this entire system allowed people to put their piety on display. 
the court of the women where the treasury was located had 13 golden receptacles that were shaped like a shofar. So in our Baptist context, 13 fancy Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets on the wall, right? Offering plates. And it's where people came and they brought their offering. They didn't pass the plate. They're fixed on the wall. There's 13 of them. And they, they, look, like a, they look like a shofar horn and they're gold. And, and under each of the, of the horns, under the, each of the receptacles, there would have been a sign that, that you put money in here, this is what it goes for. You talk about the epitome of designated giving. Two of them were for the half-shekel uh, half temple tax, and the rest was for designated giving. So two of them was the general offering. Come in, you come to the temple, you give your temple tax, and the, the other 11 were for specific things. Here they were, the burnt offering, money for wood for the altar to purchase frankincense, gold for the mercy seat, two uh, dove offerings was for the poor, burnt offerings for the birds, money for sin offering, money for a trespass offering, for the surplus of the Nazarite vow, for a leper's trespass offering, offering of the, of the herd. Now these weren't just your average collection plates. They're, they were ornate gold containers and they're overflowing because it's Passover. There are millions of people in Jerusalem and people are coming flowing through, giving their offering. And there was a temple priest who was overseeing the offering. So Jesus is observing these 13 horns. There's people who are coming. They're overflowing. And there's a man standing there watching what takes place. And the person would walk up to the receptacle, which was along the wall. He would toss in his money and then would announce in a loud voice the amount and the purpose of the gift. And then the priest overseeing it would hear and know what the collection was, was for. Now, you talk about a system. Think about this. Next week when we pass the plate, when it comes to you, it pauses before you put your money in. And with a loud voice, you say, $200 for the missionaries. $1,000 for the general offering. So whoever it is can, can hear. And that would change the giving habits, wouldn't it? I don't think it would be for the better. I really don't. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. It would not change your giving habits for the better. Because if that encouraged you to give more because people heard, you would be no different than the people that Jesus is observing here. You give without letting your right hand know what your left hand's doing, without anyone knowing, so your Father who is in heaven can reward you. And you can see how this system is set up to give people the opportunity to promote themselves, and it's also to motivate the poor to give more than they actually had. So the opposite is the case. If you didn't have anything, and the offering plate comes before you, and the guy beside you just said $1,000 for the general offering, and you don't have $1,000, it's going to motivate you to give more than you actually had, possibly. Jesus notices the rich first. Look at verse 41. He notices how the people in general are putting money into the, tre into the treasury. And many rich, plusioi, the well-to-do, put in large sums. 
And he says he also notices a poor widow who came. And she puts in two small copper coins, two lepta, which is the smallest coin used. It was about an eighth of a penny. Now, when you're walking down the street and you see a penny, do you bend over and pick it up? I'm not condemning you if you don't or saying that you should. But this is an eighth of a penny. It's the... It's so small that there's a rabbinical rule that prohibited you from giving a single lepton. You can't give just one. You have to give two. That's the minimum that you give. And that's the, the reason this widow gives, gives two. Two leptons was the amount that was considered just enough to keep a poor person alive. One person for, for one day. Now, why do you think Jesus, right after he condemns the religious leaders for devouring widows' estates, why do you think he gives a picture of a poor widow giving the smallest amount? It's because this is condemnation. She's the victim of a self-promoting system. And get this. Think about the, the fuller context here. Here's Jesus during the last week before he goes to the cross, just days after he cleanses the temple. He comes in and turns over the money changers, the exchange rate that's going on, the the selling of corrupted animals for an inflated price, the the padding of the the pockets of the temple leaders, and and he's just indicated the scribes, he just indicted the scribes for for devouring widows' estates. And now he's sitting in the treasury, seeing this system overflowing with gifts. You get a theme here? It's it, The whole thing's corrupt. It's permeated from head to toe with the leaders. And he's watching the well-to-do, those who are participating in this system, announce their giving, declaring loudly what it was for. And here's a poor widow who walks up to the receptacle while the priest looking on with a low voice says, Two lepta. Declares whatever it's it's being given for, and it is such a sight. He calls the disciples over and instructs them. Look at verse forty-three. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, "Truly I say to you," which means something of significance is coming. Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors. To the treasury. Now pay attention to those words. And he tells them why. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all that she owned. And just to make sure you get it, all that she had to live on. You see the repetition there? He says this widow put in more than all of them. Not more than any one person, but more than all of them combined. Do you notice that? And he says, why? Because they gave out of their surplus, but she out of her sacrifice. Here's a contrast. Out of her poverty. She put in all she had to live on. Her bios, where we get biology. She gave all of her sustenance. Literally all that she had to feed herself. But he says the others gave out of their abundance. Literally over and above what they needed. They, they gave out of the margin out of what they didn't need, and they had plenty left over. And then they're doing it as if this is somehow some great religious act that they've done. It was what wasn't necessary to them. It's the idea that they lived the way they wanted, and 
And then what was left over, they gave from that. And it, and it says that they didn't even give all of the extra, but they gave a portion of it. And what this widow did was way more. She gave everything that she had to God and trusted Him. I think I've shared this story with you before, but one of the lessons that the Lord had to teach me was, well, let me rephrase that. One of the lessons that the Lord taught me then and continues to teach me is about pride. And it was when I was still working for Anthem and I, I, was, I was serving as a pastor at, at Red House Church and I made plenty of money and wasn't even bivocational. The church didn't pay me to do what I did, and I can remember when, when, uh, when I was getting ready to leave there and go to, to seminary, there was this widow named Arlene. Now, you don't know Arlene, but, the, but anybody that, that had been in Red House, if I'd mentioned Arlene, oh, yeah, Arlene. So every single time, it did not matter whether it was Wednesday night or Sunday night, whenever there was a praise note time, Arlene was one of the first people to stand up. And she would begin to, to give God thanks for everything from, you know, her new bunion ointment to, you know, how, how great the McDonald's french fries she had last week was. I mean, she would just go on and on and on. And then about, after about 15 seconds, her voice would get so low, you couldn't even understand what she was saying. And nobody wanted to be rude to Arlene because she's, she meant well. She's, you know, she's, she's kind of, but the rest of the congregation is held hostage for like 10 minutes while Arlene's talking about all of these things. But she loved Jesus. And when the pastor talked about Tracy and I leaving and, and, and leaving the business we're going to, uh, to ministry, she came up and gave me a little envelope at the end of the service. It wasn't like take up a love offering or anything. She just personally brought me an envelope and had a $20 bill in it. Now, I know that we have to watch Arlene in the wintertime that she'll turn her heat on because she's that frugal. She didn't want to turn her heat on. And we had to be careful to make sure she didn't freeze. She was, she was that type of, of lady. So I opened this up and I see this $20 bill and, and I immediately rejected it. I said, Arlene, I can't take this. And... I mean, fireballs came out of that woman's eyes. I mean, she went from mumbling to, I will, I will take you out, buddy. This is, this is exactly what, this is between me and God. It has nothing to do with you. She said, the Lord told me to give that to you. You better take it. Now, what was the Lord doing in me? I'm self-sufficient. I make the money. I don't need this, I wasn't saying this, but my heart, I don't need this widow woman to give me money. I, I'm, I take care of myself. And the Lord's teaching me, you will live with me providing for you. And I was taking her blessing. Jesus says this widow in this passage is a lot like Arlene. She did nothing wrong herself. She was very sincere and I shouldn't be like the wicked rulers there and reject a sincere offering, but I sure shouldn't attempt to fleece Arlene either. There are two different words that Jesus uses here for this woman's condition. She's called poor in verse 42, 
which meant at the bottom, but not totally destitute. And then so we will fully understand her condition. In verse 44, he says she gave out of her poverty, which means without anything. Jesus says to the disciples, if that's the system, if the system is, if this widow is compared to the rich, if the system is how much you give and you get credit for that, then the widow wins. Because the rich are giving what means nothing to them. And the widow, by a genuine heart gift, is giving all and she, and she lost all. And that's the condemnation. It's praise for her and condemnation for the system. It's a system that allows for those who have much to make show of their giving and are still able to live their lives without difficulty and think that they're religious in doing so, and it humiliates those who have little and takes the last little bit from them and leaves them with nothing. In true religion, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ does not abuse the poor, it serves them and it cares for them. And truly spiritual people give quietly, sacrificially, and trustingly to the Lord. Listen. If you don't give or you give your crumbs to God, you're rebuked by the widow. I mean, that's the bottom line in this passage, right? But if you think giving is a way that you get credit for something, then you need to listen to the words of uh, of Jesus. Because he says, beware any system that, that does that. And that's exactly what the health wealth preachers do. I mean, you can go to many places. I don't have time to go there. Acts chapter 6, the first issue in the church, is the widows not being taken care of, not the widows being being abused in order to promote the, the gospel. The Lord's not happy here. In fact, He goes on to pronounce impending doom on the entire system. And that's the last thing. Learn its coming destruction. It talks about the display then the design, and now this destruction. We didn't read these, but look at these. This verse, first verse of chapter 13. As he was going out of the temple, now he's leaving. This is a transition. He's going to be teaching the disciples privately on the Sermon on the Mount. But as he's going out of the, the, the temple, one of the disciples says to him, Teacher, behold... What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Jesus says to the disciples, Observe what's happening in the treasury. And they're walking out, and one of the disciples is enamored by the buildings. I mean, the, 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 the temple was, was amazing. It was It was beautiful. It would have been even more so for Passover. And Jesus says, you you, you need to learn that you can't judge a book by its cover. Learn what is coming for them so you can avoid it. And and during the Passover, with all of these gifts, they're actually displayed in the temple. It was decorated. The surroundings were decorated with all of the givings. It's kind of like, you know, whenever... when. When you see these uh, these giving projects where where people will you know will stack their stuff somewhere so everybody can see what everybody else is is given, it's that they're displaying all these gifts in the temple, and and this catches one of the disciples' eyes. 
And Jesus says, as for these things which you're looking at, the day is coming when not one stone will remain on top of another. God will not only bring a greater judgment on the leaders who take advantage of the helpless, but He will utterly destroy the system that does so. MacArthur said, isn't it amazing of all the little things that could have been the trigger to set off the destruction of the temple, it was one illustration of an abused widow that our Lord puts on the pages of Scripture. Woe to you who abuse women, widows, the distressed, the downcast, the poor, the sick, with your lying promises to get their money. Woe to you who sell your miracle water and your miracle clothes that promise to heal the desperate if they send you money. Woe to you wealthy, self-indulgent preachers who become rich on the backs of the lonely poor, disillusioned, diseased, and desperate, who are told to give you their money as an act of faith so that God is obligated to make them healthy and wealthy. Woe to you, you will not escape judgment. Jesus says your religion is condemned and will be destroyed. And you say, I'm not a health wealth preacher and I'm not in a church that promotes any of those kind of things. So what does this say to me? I think it says any system, anything that we do that that mimics this is bad, you should avoid. Any system that takes from the poor in the name of God and doesn't care for them is not of Him. So be careful who you listen to, who you follow. Don't sow the seed, okay? $7 will get you $777. That's absolute nonsense. It has nothing to do with God. And the second thing I think it says is, If the widow gave out of a commitment to a false religious system in sincerity, and she gave all that she had to live on, shouldn't our giving to the true gospel be free and joyful as well? Would you bow your heads?